0: That's heritageradionetwork.org/15 to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that Wisconsin is home to the nation's only Master Cheesemakers program that provides innovative cheesemakers with continuing education opportunities? To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com.
2: This week, it's the season finale of Meat and 3. We're following up our episode about youth with a look at age and how aging affects life on farms and in kitchens. At the, the most basic level, we need people to grow food for a growing global population. The question
1: of planning for retirement or old age as a cook, it's almost one that doesn't exist bizarrely until it's too late.
2: We also have a story about a food that might be older than you think. A recent archaeological finding might have crossfitters everywhere reevaluating their diets. Plus a story about one of Atlanta's most historic and risqué landmarks. There are dancers that have been there 20 and 30 years. Don't miss our season finale of Meat and 3, available wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Hi, I'm Allie Kane. Welcome to In the Sauce, a new podcast about building food brands. We live in a culture that romanticizes entrepreneurship and the hustle. But what I really want to hear are the stories from the trek uphill. And I want advice, in real time. This is the story of Haven's Kitchen Sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand. Because we're all in the sauce. Today I'm speaking with Kiki von Glenow, Founder of Toast Media Group, a new company that helps brands with digital growth and social media, strategy, and management. After six years at HuffPost, leading programming, distribution, analytics, email marketing, and SEO groups, Kiki went out on her own and somewhat inadvertently, I think, became a highly sought-after consultant. Kiki's email newsletter is one of the only ones that I actually read. It is that good. Um, so before anything else happens, how do people get your newsletter?
2: Oh, my gosh. You're also putting me on. I, I actually need to start sending it regularly now. <laughs> yes, you do. Um, <laughs> they can go to my Instagram okay. and from my LinkedIn bio, sign up from it there. My Instagram is just my name, Kiki Von Gleno.
3: Yes, which is a real name. It,
2: it's a real name. It doesn't, you know, I'm sure everyone's like, and how do you spell that? <laughs> but, yeah, you'll find me.
3: You'll see it yeah. on when I post. Perfect. And it's funny because we met through Instagram.
2: Yeah. Like, I
3: don't have that many people that I meet through Instagram. It's but
2: 2018. I That's, know. Yeah. It's really
3: cool. <laughs> and what's great is that I just thought you were, like, a really avid follower. And you and just I was. seemed groovy. Yeah. And then I reached out to you because as an avid follower, I kind of wanted to know how you would like to think about using our sauces. And then you told me about your experience and what you did for a living and everything, and I had no idea. So that was embarrassing and also fun at at the same time. Um, So back up a little bit, because I I think there's like a Margaret Mead quote, or maybe it's Bill Gates. It's one of them, about how basically when you're raising kids... You don't know exactly what the careers are going to be when they're adults. Mm -hmm. But you, you know, the same things that were kind of important, you know, 2,000 years ago resilience, creativity, et cetera, et cetera, are the actual same things that are important now. They just kind of manifest differently. So I think about that with someone like you, right? Because you didn't go to fifth grade and take social media. You know, for 10 year olds and there wasn't like English, math, bio, Instagram. Yeah. So how did you. Right. Exactly. There might be now. But how did you what were you interested in as a kid? Yeah. And how has it sort of influenced you in your career? And how'd you get where you are?
2: Yeah. So I actually, journalism is really what led me on this path. Um, When I was in high school, I started working for my school newspaper and just kind of became obsessed with it. I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I think also when when I was in high school, like there were a lot of movies about the magazine industry. So I think that's what I... That's what I wanted to do.
3: So your goal was like editor of a magazine. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I was obsessed with Vanity Fair when I was younger. Right. Um, So yeah, that was definitely the trajectory that I was headed for. Um, And then I ended up going to NYU. And it was also all about being in New York. So I was like, I know I need to be in New York. Where did you grow up? In Chicago. Okay. Um, So I came to NYU uh, and uh, majored in journalism and English and creative writing. Okay. Um, when I was in school, uh, digital wasn't really a thing yet. We were still, it was right. all very magazine and newspaper centric, which and is. And were
3: you more, you were like, not, this is Kiki von Glinow reporting from no, the was beat. No, i was all written. Yeah. All, okay.
2: yeah. all text-based.
3: All right. Although that would have been great for you. Like that, you would have actually oh been great at
2: that. I would not. I would not have been comfortable. <laughs> with that I was still like coming into my own skin, I think, okay. at that point. But all right. yeah, they did have broadcast at that time when I was in school. Um, but it was like for the text-based side, it was all very much. We learned about like, it's it just, it's crazy to think about. I think like the year after I graduated, they were like, oh, we live in a digital world. Like right. Let's change that the journalism did, right. program a little bit. Um But from there, I went on. um, After I graduated, I got an internship at HuffPost. So HuffPost was really my first and only kind of job. It stuck stuck around there a long time, but I started there um, as a journalist. Um, So uh, that's kind of what kind of got me on this path of digital media and social media.
3: And what kind of journalism... Like, what were you writing about?
2: So in the very beginning, it was all entertainment-based. I um, kind of came up at HuffPost through the entertainment side of things, um, which for us was like celebrity movies, TV, um, culture, art, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and I, I mean, I remember when I first started working there... Um, it was a very competitive environment because mm-hmm. at that point, HuffPost was kind of winning the internet and one right. of the first really scaled digital publishers. Uh, so it was always like who's who, which author had the most amount of views on their stories, and I became right. super obsessed with always being at the top of that list. <laughs> um, Hence the <laughs> analytics
3: started sense, becoming yes. important. Right. So I,
2: I got very interested in how audiences found Stories online, what that behavior was like. I remember at HuffPost, for I think it was for HuffPost Entertainment. I remember the moment we were when we were like, "Should we? We should probably create a Twitter for us." Like, I mean, it was still very really. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, but um, social media was still very new, and we were very much um, at the age of of uh, being early to it as a digital publisher. So, got to learn a lot about like the explosion and boom of social media when it came to just the digital space. And then
3: so as you you took your sort of, I want to know how people are finding what they're reading and how did that turn into like digital media? You know, I mean, how did, wh- wh- what happened next?
2: Sure. Um, so I kind of, I, j- just by like kind of talking to other teams and journalists who are in general kind of a, a very delicate group of people um, <laughs> about kind of, really valuing not only the story, but also how people are finding it. I just kind of became a voice within the newsroom um, of someone who valued, who understood both sides. I wasn't someone just coming from like a marketing background or an analytics background who didn't get what it actually meant to create a story and tell a story. I had both pieces. So I just kind of um, just, Ariana was really hands-on at that point and kind of saw that I was someone who had both sides of my brain and kind of was just like, you're leading this now. You are now our head of growth and analytics. I mean, and that was also like (laughs) over a span of like six years. Right, but but that's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the the cliff notes.
3: And then now, you know, the way that I've sort of, told myself your story is that you left that you had this other idea Mm -hmm. but basically there were a lot of people like me who were like wait we need help can you help us can you help us and you started helping and then it became a consultancy and then now you're you're basically turning away people yeah, and that's my that's yeah. my movie version. Of the, I your like life. that version. Okay.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, I originally left HuffPost to explore a, a different idea, which I'm still kind of noodling on and and pushing forward. Um, but yeah, like I, I started kind of talking with brands more specifically about how my experience could help fuel their business goals, um, and it just it kind of became an accidental uh, consultancy. Where now I have uh, quite a few people working on my team with me. Yeah. Um, some of them you've met. Yeah.
3: Um, I saw an ad or an Instagram post that you need more people. Yeah. On your team. Yeah, yeah. It's very cool. Yeah. And so what does that, what do you do? What, So
2: we're very, one thing I like about being small uh, and and scrappy is that we kind of uh, take our experience or our collective experience and really try to figure out something that's bespoke to the client that's coming to us. So a lot of people or the majority of people have really found us through referrals. Uh, So you can use me as an example
3: because I feel like it's, yeah Havens is, this is about it. So, So I came to you and I was Mm -hmm. like, I don't know how to do Instagram and I'm confused about what works the best. And I hear content, 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 but I don't know exactly what that means. And I also want it to feel authentic to who we are. And what did you tell me?
2: Yeah. So I think with, with every client and with you, we really kind of worked backward from the audience that we're trying to reach the customer base that we're trying to reach and your core business goals. So really those two those two questions that you have to answer, and usually that the sometimes we help the client answer that question, but a lot of times they have an idea of what they want that right. to be.
3: I love that on one page of one of your decks, you uh-huh. said who's your target demographic, and then you flip it, and it's like you better not say everyone. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's like one of my biggest things. Like right. we we really anyone can benefit from our service or right. our product. It's like mm, like right. I want like a red button to press. Like
3: that's not going to work. It's very hard though. I mean, it's de- defining that target demographic, yeah. like. In our case, you know, it's it's young professionals, but it's also new parents, and it's definitely both men and women. And yeah, people, you know, it's not just twenty eight to forty five. Although my guess is that that's yeah. it, and people who want convenience but they also like to eat. Well, you know, is that a demographic? I don't know. Well,
2: that's many demographics, right. and I think I think the f- important thing is to understand the the different kind of pockets of demos that you're trying to reach and know that To reach each demo, you're going to have to communicate with them differently. So, you know, the we've spoken a lot about like what does what does Haven's kitchen sauces look like for the single dad versus the young millennial who's like taking someone out or inviting them over on a date to do some home cooking with them. Um, The the actual product is different for each of them, and so the communication needs to be different. And so, a lot of you can do a lot of that through. Social media.
3: Do you like that? I remember I have a friend who's an architect, and she was doing, they were building a model of a new development. Mm -hmm. And they had, it was actually really fun because she had to think of six different tenants in the building. Like Joe is in his mid 50s and he likes to listen to (laughs) classical music and, you know, buys modern art. Or like Sally and Jess, or, you know, and she had these actual. Sort of prototypes of people, mm-hmm. and then they did little mock up apartments for each oh, that's one. Awesome. It was so cool. Do you, should we be thinking about our demographics that way? Like, should we have Joe and Sally and you know, Ronaldo Yeah, or whatever.
2: I think, I think if that's helpful for you to kind of identify the way, ways they're spending time, how they're interacting with products and brands, I think absolutely. That's a, that's a cool way to do it to actually, you know, draw little stick figures right. and write out like, do they spend time on Instagram right. or LinkedIn? What does she do on the weekends? What, right. Yeah. W- like what's, what's her grocery budget? Can she right. afford this? Or is this a splurge item or. Um, how many
3: of those do you think it would be reasonable for me to have?
2: I think for newer businesses, it's very tempting to do a lot of things at the same time. I think it's harder to do fewer things really well. So I would say, I would say like two to three. Um, I always think if you can develop a rabid audience within a smaller segment of people, within a smaller demo, you are on the right path much more than being kind of mediocre with a couple different demos. Yeah, Um, that seems
3: to be the lesson... This depth versus width. Totally. Theme seems to be occurring. And
2: coming from all of my experience at at HuffPost has Mm -hmm. been at a place where it's all about width and scale. Um, I remember when we started or when I started there, um, I think we had like 50 something different verticals. So different sections. Um, And it was actually a big part of one of my initiatives there to like drill that down to like. Think when I left, maybe it was like ten to fifteen.
3: Right. I remember the divorce one. Yeah,
2: and and there what, was a really
3: good piece yeah. on that. Yeah, that I still send to people. The
2: divorce section is great. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's really awesome. I and remember it, though at one point, like we had weddings and divorce, and like at some point, it got merged into one, which was very
3: <laughs> <laughs> very odd. What's it called? Weddings and divorce. We change it to relationships, relationships, and I actually
2: think that's what it is today right. still, because a lot of people. It, Well, this is a tangential, but
3: like people
2: who are married are, you know, it's intriguing to read about divorce. (laughs) Like not that you're, you're going to, or you want to get divorced. It's just kind of like, this is the other half yeah. and it really is half, you know? So it's the other side of the coin. So people, we found that there was a lot of, there was not, it wasn't one or the other in terms of our readers. So that's why we, we combined it. So going back to, you know, sort of, you know, audience first Mm -hmm. and that's, you know, even
3: just that deciding who that audience is and being really selective and specific. So let's work backwards. So Mm -hmm. let's say I choose three audiences Yep. and I want to craft my social media sort of plan for each one of those three. Mm -hmm. So take one and what do I do then?
2: I think first of all, figure out where they're spending time. Okay. And digitally, and who they're interacting right. with. So I keep saying, like,
3: where do they go on the weekends? And you're talking about and are mean, they on LinkedIn?
2: I, I think where they go on the weekends. That question could be like, and what are like what brands are they wearing when they're doing that? Are they into adventure or are they kind of into like the self care, like you know, book and spa kind of thing? It right. is where they're going on the, on the weekends really does um, it does impact who you're trying to speak to, uh, but I think. In terms of actually getting tactical about figuring out what your strategy is, um, I think often figuring out the platform where they're spending time and then actually just going out and looking at profiles and seeing, like, really seeing the Sally and the Joe and 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 what What they're doing. What are the options
3: of profiles? I mean, what where could they be spending their? Do people and I think this might be a very dumb question. Sorry, (laughs) I'm sure. Do people spend their time perusing LinkedIn the way that I spend my time perusing Insta?
2: Uh, I think on LinkedIn, there's more of a, uh, an intent by the people, from the people who are on it. So if you are a staffing agency, it is imperative that you have a presence on Or if you're looking for a job. Or uh, if you're looking for a job, but from like a, from a, um brand perspective of what brand would would have a strategy on LinkedIn so
3: where could people be spending their time digitally
2: oh a lot of snapchat if they're younger potentially Instagram Facebook you know moms older millennial moms are huge on Facebook um LinkedIn, like I mentioned, uh, some of them perhaps like email is a huge play with a specific demo. Right. Um, there, it really is endless Reddit. If you're like going after, you know, millennial men who are really into like show fandoms or Twitch is younger guys who are into video game. You know, there's a lot of different WhatsApp if you want, if you want an international audience. Yeah.
3: That's so fascinating, yeah. I don't know what half of those <laughs> things are. I don't think there are target demographics, probably not right. yeah I'll, except for the sh- show what what were the
2: reddit? No
3: yeah no. Re- what'd you say What's...
2: R- reddit um, like that's kind of hardcore nerd show entertainment fandom. culture that's fandom what, right. Yeah, 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 but okay. a lot of I mean reddit has everything, um, right, but right. it's it's the hardcore fandoms that really do all that
3: interesting. That's okay, so now that i've now that I've figured out who my target is, because I mean really, the questions are my questions, which we'll get to after the break, are mm-hmm. sort of about the actual content itself, yeah, but I feel like there's a step even way before that, which is figuring out, you know you can't you can make beautiful things and wonderful things and send them into like the sphere, mm-hmm. and no one sees them <laughs> or they don't hit what you want them to hit yeah. or they don't do what you want them to do. And that's a lot of money to spend. Oh, so totally. yeah. I'm trying to back it up and sort of get, you know, do what I should have done earlier, yeah. which is really sort of hone in on who the people are that I'm trying to reach mm-hmm. and then where they live on which platform mm-hmm. and then... What?
2: so there's some there's a very scary stat that like for Instagram for example which is kind of where you're putting um, a lot of your marketing mm-hmm. efforts um, about 70% of posts on Instagram don't get seen so that's because at all at all <laughs> or, or a very very uh, small number of, of views on those posts um, and that's because I'm sure everyone has heard about this Instagram this dark and twisty Instagram Algon. algorithm Yeah. <laughs> um, Where it's very much based on personalization. Instagram shows people who they think would be likely to engage with something post, but not necessarily all of your followers. So, so,
3: so I mean, out of 22,000 followers, when I post, so, and I've told you this and it, it boggles my mind Mm -hmm. and I've stopped caring because you've told me to stop caring, but there are some things that I post that get a thousand likes and there's some things that I post that get 60
2: And that's your market research right there. That's like, that's great testing because those two things are probably not all like, they're not the same thing. There's something to learn about each scenario. So sometimes you've asked a question or sometimes the the quotes quotes, do really well. They do well. And so people kind of, it's it's great to know that people are engaging with you on that level. They really are looking to you for inspiration or something like that. That's Uh, right. So when we first start working with clients, we always kind of just do a deep dive into like an audit, like, to really see what's working and what's not. Right. Your audience tells you, gives you so much information about what you should be doing. It's just tapping into it.
3: But that's my question. Is mm-hmm. the audience telling me what's working or is the algorithm not showing people something because it doesn't think it's going to work? So
2: it will always show it to some people and based on how those people react to it, it will decide to show it to more people or less people. Right. So in the end, good content I won't say always because there is a lot of dark magic that goes into it, but right. good content wins. So if people, if you put something out that's engaging and valuable or entertaining or teaches some, someone something new and they uh, engage with it, Instagram will recognize that it's something that other people would be right. engaged with.
3: I do feel like lately I've seen a lot of cats either lunging at things <laughs> or being pets in a slightly sort of sensuous way. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's my Instagram, like telling me what I, I think that's like. revealing more about no, you because to honestly, us. I'm not like a cat person. I don't huh. follow cats. I don't, I'm not like, I don't hashtag cat yeah. anything. I'm not, I'm just not, I'm not, uh-huh. but I feel like somewhere someone got the memo that like animals making noise and, you know, betting, getting Is pet it, with like a finger You know,
2: (laughs) it's a cheap trip trick on Instagram. Yes, like it was my dog's birthday the other day, and so I posted a photo of him, and of course, it's like a super high performing post, like awesome, like great, good for you, doggy. Well,
3: I mean, you know how I feel Uh, about we we had a panel a couple of weeks ago and I spent a good yeah. amount of time talking about my dog. And then there was this great New Yorker cartoon where someone's taking a picture of the dog and the dog says like, I feel really cheap when you use me yeah. to post on Instagram <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to boost yourself in the algorithm. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're going to take a little break and then we're going to come back and talk about once we've established these targets, um, how to get them to engage with your brand and hear your story.
1: To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com.
3: Hi, I'm back with Kiki Von Glenow, founder of Toast Media Group. Um, We've talked a lot so far about the algorithm and cats, um, amongst other things. But I I do want to get into, you know, if you're a small brand and, you know, you can't afford either a consultant, or you can't certainly afford to hire someone to do your social media. It's kind of the, it, it's sort of the necessary evil of someone's job. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it's my, you know, it's my, <laughs> it's your evil. It's my <laughs> evil. And, you know, it's funny because I really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I love actually being able to give cooking tips to, you know, people who are like, how long should I roast my carrots for? And I love, when people feel like something I've said made their day better or, you know, I do, I I don't want to give it up. So, but I do feel like it takes a lot of time to come up with thoughtful things to say and pictures that are appealing and, and also tell the story of our brand. Yeah. Um, So I guess my first question is if there are any ways that you, can think of for someone who's kind of trying to figure it out on their own, a small emerging brand that has some following, you know, how, what are some ways that we can make it a little bit less taxing on ourselves? Well,
2: I think one important thing that you mentioned is just that you enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Uh, that more than you will know comes across to the, to the audience that you actually enjoy doing it. So I think one tip would be if your brand does a certain thing, and just talking about only that thing is not enjoyable to you, or or it's taxing in some way, figure out to figure out how to find a lens into your brand in a way that you actually enjoyable. enjoy it. Yeah, right. exactly. Um, I think the other thing is uh, that in order to kind of take things to the next level without having a huge social media team behind you, really thinking about the content that your community is creating. So you mentioned this is general, like we're speaking right now about a brand that has somewhat of a following. Mm -hmm. So really being able to tap into that, the loyalists within that following and ask them to show, show you how they use your product or your service or something and leveraging the content that they're creating within your own brand. Um, I think people really underestimate how creative just the general right. public, public is. is now. right? So, um, and they often are so flattered and love yeah. to be included in a brand story. So I think that's a really powerful thing to do. That's great. Um, and then I think partnerships are something that people really don't take advantage of of enough they do take some work to develop but there are so many young brands who are trying to find a voice for themselves on instagram who are mission aligned to other young brands tr- struggling right. to find their voice so kind of collaborating I, I always and this is something that ariana taught me at from HuffPost. um she really never believed in competitors but only collaborators which i have kind of taken and and used in every aspect of my business um it's so it's
3: a nice way to live too i feel the same oh way my God, yeah because it it's It there's you know my friend Christine said this a long time ago like there are enough cookies for everyone. There totally are. There are hundreds and hundreds of millions user of users on Instagram. I mean,
2: if if all of them wanted sauce, you like you'd have a problem. Right. (laughs) That would be a uh, that would be tough to fulfill. So yeah, I, I think finding other people or individuals who share similar values or mission to you and talking to them like what could we do together? What could be a cool way to share audiences and um, or leverage each other for content um, right there's a lot of opportunity there
3: and then what you know I'm assuming you're going to say day one but how early should an emerging brand with a product try to think about its strategy like it's it's digital and I'm speaking mostly to Instagram because it's what I know my guess Mm -hmm. is that there are certainly some brands out there that are going to be kicking it on Facebook right Um, I don't know how Snap works that way but Mm -hmm. For sure, let's you know we can throw in Facebook if you want to, but specifically for Instagram, when should we be thinking about that strategy and the content we're making? And
2: I how? think the biggest uh, the biggest thing to think about when starting a strategy is who you're trying to reach. And for me, any business. Should should have that question answered before, before right. they even launch. Um, and I'm almost also speaking about that from the perspective of someone who's building a separate business too. Who like we, I mean, talking to those people who you're trying to reach, finding them in real life, going standing in the park and just going up right. to them and asking them questions, things like that. Um, I think that really starts to dictate what your strategy is before you actually sit down and say like, what is what am I going to post or how right. you know that that's the that's the hard part. The it really home. is. Yeah, it's really. It's, The who totally.
3: It's funny because a couple, you know, I think a couple weeks ago, someone was saying you can't have a company without the why, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And now I feel like you can't have a company without the who either. You know, like it's really those simple questions. Yeah, I think
2: we've we've seen so many. Uh, copycat companies yeah. recently, and it's not always that like someone has found a way to do something insanely better, but they found a way to connect with an audience that that another company hasn't connected with. Right. Um, so again, like there can be multiple competitors collaborate, cur- collaborators right. in the same space. Um, so the the to me the why is obviously important, but the who is is really the uh, the ultimate.
3: And in terms of you know selling a product versus creating a vibe mm-hmm. of your product, right? I feel like a Glossier can do both. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I don't know. I am mem- like mesmerized by like the lip gloss kind of coming out of the tube and like <laughs> glossy and then like someone's yeah. lips, like it, it works. I want the lip gloss mm-hmm. and I know what they're going for. Yeah, You know, I don't know that that works as well with a a company like mine that has a lot of different things going on mm-hmm. because I have the school, I have the cafe, I have events, you know, there's the and the sauces, mm-hmm. and then there's just sort of like the vibe of the you know, so I don't know.
2: I think it's about yeah. distilling what Glossier really does well and they were one of the first I think to really do this well. Um and it again comes down to people. Um I I Really, I'm a broken record with like no, being audience it. first, yeah. customer first, like who, who that demo is that you're trying to reach, but then also having a face forward, um, uh, uh what's the word I'm looking for? A face forward ethos of your brand. So Glossier, so what does that mean? Yeah, was one of the first brands to really. Uh, Take influencer marketing to the next level. That's what really built their company. They their company was built on Instagram, basically. Right. So they have that vibe, but the, the but the reason why people are really connecting with them is because everyone knows their social media editor Eva, who like r- who is constantly showing herself and her friends on the Insta- Instagram. Right. Um. They know like uh the founder, Emily Weiss's assistant Morgan. Like they do like the weekly or daily Morgan thing. Right. So it's really, they are, they're not cool girls. They're not like inaccessible. They're, they're relatable women who uh, run this company that the community feels like they want to be a part of. So I think it's, it's a vibe for sure, but it's a people vibe rather than like a pretty picture for the sake of pretty picture thing. And of course, right. they have like cool gooey lip gloss videos yeah. or whatever, um, which which aligns with that. But it really is the people forward um, approach to the brand. I think that is what put them on the map.
3: So speaking of who else is doing it well, and let's dissect why a little bit.
2: Sure. Um, so one example I think I've shared with you before in the food brand space is Siete Foods. Mm-hmm. Um, they are a family brand that makes like uh, tortilla chips and tortillas and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Help in the health space. They're
3: like uh, the better for you, Goya. Yeah, of, right?
2: yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and
3: they very the better for you, El Paso. Sure, right. yeah. <laughs>
2: Um they they really take that I, I think the actual name is Siete Family Foods, and mm-hmm. they take the family thing very seriously. Um, so y- you can see them at their family gatherings how they're actually incorporating the meal not in like a salesy way into, right. into what they're doing, but like just like they love what they create. right They also really do influencer marketing well. So they I, I found them through influencers on Instagram who, were enjoying their products and really seem to love the brand and the family. They right. they really talk about the family too when they're talking about the I brand, love that. Right. not just, you know, the chips. Yeah, the right. chips, even though the chips are good. Right. So who I else? think that's imp- right. like you and I feel like I've talked to you about this a lot too, but you are such a valuable opportunity for Haven's Kitchen to be the face of it right. and someone who people connect with. You are a very Charismatic, just cool person, running Thanks, her own business. <laughs> um, flatter the podcast host, right? I know that's what exactly. I'm, to do. <laughs> I'm like sitting here blushing. No, but I mean that that really is that's a huge opportunity. So as much as you're figuring out who who your audience is, it's also about figuring out who is going to be the the person behind this. Right. People want to see who's making the sauce. Right.
3: Right. I mean, and it's funny because Katie has gotten much more comfortable in mm-hmm. that role too, yeah. you know, because she's actually making the sauce, right. you know, and it's, it's and like, she's also
2: such a cool person. She's that, the like, coolest the person. first time I met, I met her, I'm like, I want to be best friends. I Is know. Cool?
3: <laughs> I know. It's like, and, and the two of us have this sort of funny dynamic yeah. together because, you know, we just, we kind of play off of each other in a mm. way. So we're, we're definitely trying to figure out how to do that in a way that, but but neither one of us is totally comfortable a on camera or b sort of like with anything other than totally authentic. Right. So it's, it's a little, and that is key for for that kind yeah. of
2: face forward approach to your brand distribution on these channels is authenticity. Right. Again, p- I mean, people who love Instagram, they're on Instagram all day long so they can sniff out a phony immediately. So if you're yeah. trying to be like,
3: well, I think that's what that, you know, we had, um, a woman named Taryn Langer on a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago and she was talking more about like the PR and sort of like yeah. not, the digital stuff. But she was saying that the reason why traditional media is making such a comeback is because there's so much content out there and there's so many people's opinions about everything and there's so many sponsored things and that mm-hmm. actually hearing from an expert, this is good. And this is what this company stands for. And this is why I like it is more meaningful now because we have so much being thrown at right. it. And I feel like that's the same in a way with social. I'm scrolling much faster now than I used to. I mean, I can You're feel assuming it. It's all just like a lot of it. And viewing. I see pictures that look exactly like other pictures yeah. that I know where they got mm-hmm. the inspiration from. And I'm also starting to see less polished stuff mm-hmm. coming up because I feel like people are starting to want to see that stuff too. Yeah. Um, can you just speak a little sure. bit? Sure. Yeah. About I think that's a big yeah.
2: trend that's kind of coming or here in a bit. Um, on Instagram is the pretty for the sake of pretty is not really working anymore I mean right. it's working to some extent but I think the future of Instagram is m- going to be much more about like that raw authenticity um, someone who I think does this super well is a woman um, named Jen Gotch she's the yeah. CEO, or she's the founder and she, I think maybe the CEO owner or CCO yeah. something of Bando that, yeah. that accessories company um, she's she just, very raw very like raw. She will have raw. panic yeah. attack attacks on. Oh, that was my Chicago accent slipping <laughs> out there. Um, she will have full-on panic attacks on Instagram stories. She takes photos of herself crying. She deals with mental illness um, uh, challenges and has a podcast actually for Girl Boss around mental illness. Right. Um, and she, she's just someone who I, I think the support she's gotten on instagram um and the people who are kind of saying this is what i want to see i want to see someone who's relatable to me who's going through the same things as me um, and i trust her now so i think that is going to be kind of the new normal on instagram it might take a little while for the for the pretty for the sake of pretty to go away well
3: and it's interesting having when you're trying to sell a product Mm -hmm. have it not be gussied up is a little it's 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 challenging. You want to put your best foot forward. You know, I do get a ton of really adorable, very loving DMs from people who use the sauce and their pictures. You
2: know, they're not photographers. I wouldn't say that they're (laughs)
3: photographers. And I wouldn't say that I'm like, oh, got to make that for dinner. But I want to, you know, I want to not reward them, but I want to show them how much it really does. I get every one of those yeah. and I love it. And yeah. it makes me so happy that they feel like we've helped them make dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't post those. Would you say that's like an area to put like for stories? I would say, yeah, probably okay.
2: Instagram stories. So the, the feed yeah. does so feel... Yeah, so let's break it down sure, a little yeah. bit.
3: Your your First of all, your feed, how many post that uh, there was something like there was a couple months ago, like three posts a day or something. And I had a nervous breakdown because so, yeah. one is rough for one me. One is
2: rough. And I think for a lot of smaller brands, one, if you can get to a consistent one a day, that's great. And it really is all about consistency. Um, in
3: the sense that you want it to be at the same time every day? No,
2: I think you can kind of start to see when your users are engaging with you most. So you get a lot of those in insights and analytics when you sign up for a business account on Instagram. So I would suggest that everyone convert to a business account so they okay. can have access to those right. analytics. But it tells you kind of when your followers are most engaged on Instagram. Um, I think if you have the resources to do more than one, that's great. Instagram, um, when I was I, – I was the li- liaison for Instagram when I was at HuffPost. And mm-hmm. when I spoke to them a lot about optimization, they said they kind of um, – uh, thought up to seven a day was a good spot to be. Wow. And that kind of is a little bit more relevant today even because the algorithm has changed, I think it was maybe two or three months ago, to value uh, recency a little bit more. So, So,
3: but if I were posting seven a day, people would unfollow. I mean, I feel like people would just be offended.
2: not the same people are seeing all those seven posts. So if, you know, let's say... 70% 70% of your followers are not seeing every post, Wow. Um, then maybe a portion of that 70% is seeing the second one and then another right. size is seeing the third. So it really, inst- I mean, the algorithm is, it really is dark magic. So it, it's not, I don't, I don't believe, and it, it's not a exact science. They haven't shared the algorithm with me by any means, right. but I don't think that Instagram would show someone something enough to make them unfollow. That's not their goal.
3: Right. Got it. Okay, so you have your feed, and the optimum amount is somewhere between one and seven. But if you're a small business, I would say like one.
2: One is great to get consistent. If you're already doing one, go up to the next level to do two. Um, But what I would say in terms of ranking prioritization of these different um, like atoms within this ecosystem that is Instagram is, I think Instagram Stories is probably the most. important place for small brands to be sharing their message. That's where right. people are interacting most with yeah, w- for sure on with the us. platform. I think Absolutely. it's there's something like 250 million Instagram stories posted today. So wow. that's really where people are spending time. Um, and then I would say feed probably comes after that. Uh, for stories, I suggest that people try to do at least 60 seconds a day. So that might be for 15 second videos. That might be a couple slides of you know, right. however you mix and match
3: it. I know what's going on. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then live versus IGTV.
2: So they're very different. Okay. I, th- I think try to shoot for a live once a week. Those are people are very afraid of Instagram live because no, you know
3: why I can tell you why. I mean, because real time feedback or no, because like if no one's watching, but but you're no, because you see on the don't you see how many people are watching? So, if you're
2: watching, the thing that I think is great about live, I don't care if anyone's watching, but it gives me content that I can then share to stories. So that people can interact with it there. So to me, it's double dipping. And hopefully once you start doing it more often, right. people will start watching. If, if it's the first time you've done it, right. maybe Instagram doesn't show it to that many people. No, well, I had
3: my, The first time I did a live, it was in the morning. And it was like while all of the prep cooks were like getting the muffins and the mm-hmm. scones ready. And like they were making the coffee and we were starting to get ready for the day. Yeah. And there were like 150 people or something that were watching. And it was, I thought it was like this was going to happen. I thought it was so cool. That's great. And I was like, hi, little, little, hi, you know. And then the next time I did it, I think it was three. And so I just felt like that was a fluke. And But also learn
2: know. what was the different about them. You know, was one, they liked to see people in action and it was the time of day that really yeah. worked and the other, or was it the same thing both times?
3: I, I tried to do the same thing because okay. I was trying to do sort of like an early mornings at yeah. Havens, you know, huh. like welcome to our cooking school. Yeah. But, no, I don't know. And, and then it just makes you feel kind of like a dork, you know, that you're, like, doing this live thing that yeah. no one's watching. You I know? think
2: the, one of the hardest parts, and I also work with a lot of um, clients in the health and wellness space, and that's, like, the one of the biggest hurdles for them, too, is to, to just put stuff out there and not have anything happen right. to <laughs> right. it. Or, yeah. Um and I, I think it's just kind of getting over it, knowing right. that like sometimes when you film yourself, you'll look terrible, and right. sometimes when you're you do a live, no one will watch, right. and you that's just can't that have it is, any. Ego yeah, you about can't. It. You, you, yeah.
3: Okay, so live is one time a week, yes. and then IGTV is this new mm-hmm. thing.
2: So IGTV is Instagram's um, stab at kind of taking down YouTube. Right. um, Which is great
3: for someone like me. Yeah. Because I like it all being in one place. In one place, yeah.
2: Yeah. Which is they they have a big advantage there that people are spending a lot of time there. Um, So it's a place where I think it's, you can record up to 10 minutes right now. They're going to up that to about an hour. I think only like celebrities have the hour. And do you have to
3: like click into it? or is that the thing at the top in orange like someone is, yeah. has a
2: video on you know And also time. when you visit someone's profile it like you can it's a, it's right next to the Instagram stories highlights Got that, it. that lives right now. right right of course yeah. okay um, so i think IGTV is a place where I, I think it was produced or it was a feature that was initially intended for higher touch higher production video mm-hmm. obviously that's not the case for everyone. I think of it as a place where if you have something to say that you don't want to press record every 15 seconds and it's not imperative that you're live, you don't need that in real time feedback or, um, user participation, then it's a good like tutorial
3: video. Totally Yes. If you were
2: going to do a 10 minute recipe, I think that would be a great spot to do it.
3: And what about ads? I have bought ads. We did videos, Mm -hmm. you know, little and like cooking videos with our sauces. Thank you. Um, and we, I, I promoted them. Mm-hmm. Is that, that's an ad, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So I clicked promote and then it ha- asked me all these questions yeah. and I was like, ah, whatever. <laughs> and then it said your budget and your radius and whatnot. Demer, I was like, I, whatever. So I kind of toyed around with the little slidey thing. I have yeah. no idea what I did. Is there a, what's the story? Should we be, should we be buying those? Should we I be? think.
2: I think it's a slippery slope. Okay. I generally, for most of my smaller business clients, I don't advocate for it unless you have pretty deep uh, marketing budget pockets. Okay. Um, the way, so ins- I think most people know Facebook owns Instagram. The way Facebook uh, paid marketing, kind of that trajectory went from a lot of small businesses spend money in the beginning, they see a decent return for it, and the more and more money they spend, the less they start getting for it. So it's right. kind of once um, Facebook... Views you as someone who's willing to spend money on the platform, your organic growth is going to be kind of cut at the knees a bit. Interesting. So I would say if you are kind of thinking, I'm really going to double down and do a sprint on trying to grow my Instagram or my Facebook or whatever it is, try to do that organically for a couple of months to see right. what um, organic growth you get. It before. definitely
3: de- hasn't grown, from my understanding, the promotions have not grown our Instagram following. Yeah. Um, what I'm hoping is that people who don't follow me see the Mm -hmm. ads and buy the sauce. But is that not going to happen?
2: That the conversion there is, is pretty low because they have to see your ad, go to your profile and then try to like, feel like they want to engage with you a step further. I would say Instagram is powerful because of repetition. When someone um, is starting to see other people make, their dinners with your sauces via right. Instagram stories or they just see how you're using it over and over again. That right. kind of triggers their mind. I'm comfortable with this now. I think right. um, there is an opportunity to retarget people that you've target on, on these ad platforms, which I think is if you are going to spend money is a good way to do it just to move them down the funnel.
3: So what does that mean?
2: So if you if you within this batch of paid promotion reached me, you have the opportunity next time you promote something to reach me again.
3: Oh, mm-hmm. how you do? Yeah. Great. I, you I, can say
2: that? Yeah, there, it's within the settings oh, of the ad a bit. interesting. You're going to help me with that yeah. right after we do this. Okay. Sure. What are some mistakes you see brands making? Um, I think there, there are a few of them. I think we've, t- we've touched on some of them. A lot of the... Um, um, pretty for the sake of pretty or trying to, mm-hmm. to be like other brands on a platform because it's working for that other brand. It's working for that other brand because it's, it's authentic to them or it, it, it makes sense for them. Right. What makes sense for another brand doesn't always make sense for you. So I think finding your individual take on something is really key. It's not easy, but, um, I think that that's where people get caught up with just trying to be like someone else. Right. Um, And again, just not knowing who you're trying to reach or trying to reach everyone, um, that's not going to lead to really anyone in the end because no one feels an immense connection with you or your brand.
3: I think that's great. All right, for the last couple of minutes, um, I guess I wanted to ask you, I like this question, like if you were going to write a book (laughs) about social media strategy or digital growth... You can either choose like a chapter or two, or like the title, or even just like the main thesis of the book. Oh man, <laughs> I know it's a hard one.
2: I I think like maybe like the title would be something. This sounds so lame. No, like
3: sure, it's not going to sound like
2: like you do you. Just like do right. you? Right. Um, don't try to be someone else. Whatever you do, make it something you like. I think when there's passion behind any sort of story or messaging or what what brand story, whatever it is, it comes across. People can feel it for sure. So I think it would be about that and just and being real about what you can take on. I think so. Like that would be knowing what you're good at and what you need to delegate to other people too. I've seen a lot of. People and especially small brands who just try to do everything themselves. Like you have a great team behind you, but right. um, some people who don't. It's just prioritizing and figuring out what what you do really well, um, and then being passionate about that thing and doing it awesome. and getting it done. And then the last question:
3: What's the most fun you've had? Being let's break it down into like your consulting work. Like what's been? When have you been like? I love today.
2: I had one client who has. Um, a She runs like a yoga school yoga program um, mm-hmm. and she has like these international retreats mm-hmm. and she sold out one of her retreats based on our Instagram campaign, oh. which is like her revenue for the year. That's so like, amazing. That was really I, I love it when clients just like have major success stories yeah. and then email me like with a lot of exclamations being like, holy shit.
3: Yeah. No, that's so, amazing. Yeah. All right, Kiki, thank you so much. Thank you for your help with me. Thank you for helping all of the listeners. And if you want to follow Kiki on Instagram, it's at K-I-K-I-V-O-N-G-L-I-N-O-W. I'm
2: impressed. Yeah,
3: because it's such a (laughs) great name. We didn't even get into like how you got that name. But at first I didn't think it was real, but it's real. Um, and David, I just want to thank you for being the engineer of engineers. Um, this may be the last one of this season, so it's been really fun getting to talk about Haven's Kitchen and other emerging brands and peeking through the window and seeing David laugh every once in a while has been sort of the highlight of that, so, I don't know when the next in the sauce is going to be, but there will be a next time. So I will uh, see you then. Thanks. Ellie. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter,
2: Rate the shows you like,
3: tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.